harm reduction. And this seems to always really ruffle feathers because there's a lot of misinformation and I think misunderstanding when it comes to talking about the ongoing drug crisis that's not only really prevalent here in Alberta, but it's it's a problem nationwide. And part of one of the issues of this is that prominent politicians are actually spreading misinformation. Recently, Pierre Polyev made a motion in Parliament to defund safer supply. He referenced it as tax-funded drug supply and said that it was fueling addiction rather than recovery. Now, that was downvoted, but you think about a politician in that position perpetuating that message, and that can have a really big impact. We're going to get into some clarification about what harm reduction really looks like with our guest, who's a doctor of public health, excuse me, a doctor of public health student at the University of Toronto, Carla Garty. Carla, thank you so much for making the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Let's just start by clarifying the drug crisis. I know we've talked about this a lot on the show before, um, but it's it's continually a, a big issue that I think is something that people don't necessarily understand. So when we're talking about the drug crisis, are we talking about a toxic supply? 150% we're talking about a toxic supply. People are dying at unimaginable rates. And that is because the supply is so tainted and so toxic and so unpredictable. And so is that across the board with every drug right now that people are using and finding? Is everything tainted? From an unregulated street supply perspective, we are seeing a lot of things, if not the majority of things, are tainted. We're seeing opioid uh, components being tainted. We're seeing uh, stimulants being tainted. Um, so, yes, everything that is seems to be on the unregulated market is not exactly what it is marketed to be so to speak so the, oh, i think i'm taking fentanyl and it's cut with a number of different components right and there may be a piece of fentanyl there may be fentanyl in there but there could also be xylazine there could also be a stimulant there could also be carfentanil there could also be a benzodiazepine and other tranquilizers and other fillers the idea of creating a safer supply, acknowledging that addiction is something that is happening, it's running rampant in our societies all across this, this nation, and creating a safer supply is one that's not met with a lot of sympathy or a lot of understanding. Why do you think that is? I think that's based a lot and grounded in a lot of stigma and ignorance towards how we look at people who use substances. I, I was reading something where I believe it was the UCP leader at one point in Alberta had said that, you know, we can't listen to people who use drugs. They can't make their own decisions. I would, I would very much argue with that component. Who do you know these days? I know very few people that aren't on any medication or aren't, or aren't on any type of drug at all. Yes, many of these drugs are psychoactive and they have um, cognitive, cognitive effects, but I think we need to recognize the value and the expertise that comes from people who use these unregulated substances and that they are members of our community. There are parents, there are cousins, there are neighbors, uh, they're, they're, ever, you know, they're, they're part of what makes us a society. And they deserve to be valued and respected. I think it becomes convoluted because I think, you know, when people immediately think of drug addicts and drug users, they're thinking of people that they're seeing that are struggling and living on the streets. And that's not necessarily the case. We're talking about people that you might be connected with, people that you might know that are using and are at risk. So even if you feel like this problem is something far away from you and connected to someone that you don't know or necessarily sympathize with, that might be a misunderstanding of the problem, right? 
Definitely. I think that, you know, we are seeing more people um, using their substances out in the open Mm -hmm. and that a lot is due to the fact of there is no affordable or adequate housing available. Uh, There are not enough supports to keep people or to keep people housed. Uh, There are not enough supports in many of our communities to support people who are in, who are struggling with substance use. Um, So where are people going to go and where are they going to use their substances? And it's actually, you know, we, we don't want people to be going into these dark places to be using their substances alone, especially with such a toxic supply, because that dramatically increases their risk of harm. And one of those greatest harms is death. You know, when we hear about safe supply and we hear about politicians like Pierre Polyev speaking about safe supply leading to tax funded drug supply, I think people really they put those two together and you think that you are just enabling people with this with this problem, with these addictions. Can you explain, Carla, why that's not the case? We're not in we're not enabling people. Harm reduction has shown to be effective over many decades. And you have people that are saying, well, look at all the deaths now. Clearly, it's not working. It's not. It is working. The deaths are coming from a toxic supply. The deaths are not coming because we are starting to institute these programs. And let's be real. You can't tell me safe supply isn't working. It is not rampantly available yet. It is available in small little pockets. There is a very small minority of people who use substances that have access to such a program. So don't tell me something like that isn't actually working when you have a lot of not only peer-reviewed but anecdotal reports of people's lives becoming more stable, their health improving, uh, their connections to their coping mechanisms and to their families and friends are improving. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit? These are stories that are true. I think you make an excellent point, Carla, talking about the availability of safe supply and safe injection sites, for example, I think being reduced to the point of almost being unavailable. It makes it really hard to to gather that evidence. So what evidence do we have and what does that really look like in terms of looking at this from an objective position and saying safe supply and harm reduction, it actually does work? What, What kind of evidence do we have that we can really point to? Well, you have evidence from uh, supervised consumption sites about the number of people that are visiting, the number of of overdoses reduced, the fact that no one has ever died at a supervised consumption site in Canada. That says a lot. You also have uh, the success of the decrease in HIV, uh, the transmission of HIV and Hep C among people who are using drugs. You have uh, other reports of decreases in, um, you know, Emergency room rates, uh, you have decreases in public uh, discarding of, of used uh, drug consumption materials. You have people saying, I come here and this has helped me and I am alive because of this service. Mm. I mean, evidence is coming from all facets. Evidence is not just about what you read in some journal and some scientist telling you, well, this equals this. That is not the only component of what constitutes evidence. Where, what evidence is Pierre Polovar coming from when he's talking about the enablement of persons by giving them a safe supply? Do you go to the liquor store to buy alcohol? Do you go to a bar to purchase a drink? That's a safe supply. Mm-hmm. That is a regulated supply. 
Alcohol is one of the most toxic and dangerous substances over a long period of time that exists. It is one of the most dangerous drugs, yet it's legal. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it shouldn't be legal. I'm not saying it shouldn't be regulated, but it exists. Mm-hmm. Did prohibition work? No. I think that that's one of the, the strongest arguments when it comes to talking about harm reduction is relating it back to, to alcohol. But then, you know, of course, you're going to get people that are that are questioning the idea of, well, are we looking at legalizing um, street drugs or or decriminalizing them? Is that the next component of this? Because it feels like there's already so much resistance to even harm reduction. Do those have to go hand in hand? Well, legalization and decriminalization are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So decriminalization is not necessarily the legalization of substances. I mean, it, it could lead to that. But decriminalization is non-punitive measures uh, for people who happen to be apprehended uh, with personal possession of drugs on them. So it's meant to be looking at this more as a health issue rather than a criminal and punitive, a criminal issue with mm-hmm. a punitive response. Mm-hmm. Does Is decriminalization going to save lives immediately? It is a component of harm reduction. It is a longer-term strategy to keep people out of the criminal justice system. And again, to keep that recognition on the fact that this is a health and social issue. And it does need to happen. But is that going to be the immediate thing that is going to save someone's life today? No. Is regulation or taking a safe supply of a substance going to save someone life, someone's life today? Yes. Is using that substance, uh, whether it's a regulated or unregulated from the unregulated system in a supervised consumption space going to, going to potentially save their life? Yes. If we're having communities where people can gather, where people can use their drugs safely, whether it's within that, that in, in that particular supervised consumption and treatment service, or whether, whether their own communities that they've created for decades before these formal systems were even created, that's going to save a life too. What do you think Carla buy-in is going to look like? I think there's a huge stigma that people need to overcome. And I think that oftentimes when you think about those that are using drugs are the people that don't have anyone advocating for them. And as I said, there are people that oftentimes don't receive a whole lot of sympathy or empathy from the from the larger majority of society. So how do we move towards progress and buy-in when people feel so resistant to it? I would say don't talk about something that you don't know anything about. Mm. I would also say that people's experiences are their own. So what works for one person may not work for another person. We have to be open-minded. We can't throw treatment and recovery and the other pillars of drug strategies out the window. Those are still components that we need to be looking at. But we also have to understand that there is an immediate need to keep people alive. That is what's happening. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for your perspective. Thank you very much for having me. I hope what I said was was useful. Of course. That's Carla Garty, Doctor of Public Health student at the University of Toronto.